Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Being on Power Athlete Radio three times is kind of like getting to third base. The excitement, the sense of achievement, and the undeniable sexual tension. Just ask this week's three-timer, Brett Bartholomew. What started as just a few bros catching up turned into another incredible conversation about the value of connection. Now working towards his doctorate, the author and coach brings even more science to the seemingly superficial benefits of good communication. It's almost like coaching is an art. Enter Brett's podcast, Art of Coaching. If you're wondering partway through why there is so much gone in 60 seconds discussion, I, I honestly don't have a valid answer for you. But you will find out what Genghis Khan and actor Scott Khan have in common. That's right, people. We have strength. We've got conditioning. We've got pop culture and history. This is episode 308. Power Athlete Nation. What is up? No, what's up? Another premiere podcast. Is conditioning. Ding, ding. You guys are doing ding, it wrong. Yeah, I don't sound like that. <laughs> <laughs> Do I sound like that, you guys? Yeah. I'm trying to think of a Gone in 60 Seconds quote. All I can think of is, for the audience, I have my hands up at the side, fingers pointing to the and side, go, shaking. Let's go. Let's, let's go. roll. I, and let's roll, right? And that is no, Nicholas Cage. Does he say let's rider. roll? or next, uh, First of all, the lowrider thing was awful. <laughs> I was waiting for them to start that song. I was like, really? War? Lowrider? Are you serious? Lowrider, Donnie? Donnie, Lowrider? Okay, low rider? so let me just... What do you mean by awful? <laughs> like, awful good? Or like, you truly were like, oh, I'm, I'm disgusted with this scene? Uh, I could have thought of hundreds of better songs to play at that moment than Lowrider. So, for, like, do you get excited now rewatching the movie when that scene start, like approaches? Because, one... Have you ever listened you can, to the song? Not just the beginning until Let's Go. Okay. If you've ever listened to the lyric, it's basically the same lyric over again. Like, if, like, I've thought of, like, hundreds of songs that would have been better at that moment in that. So please answer the question, John. You are under podcast oath. When you watch that movie, when that scene approaches, do you get excited for it or are you apt to skip it? Well, I watch it because Nicolas Cage's ridiculousness of like the hands and like that whole thing. The only other part that's to me is more ridiculous is when he reaches into some like weird cabinet and pulls out some box with a leather blazer. And I, I still laugh thinking, who the fuck wears a leather blazer? Like if he pulled out like a dope fucking old school, like like motorcycle jacket or something fucking vintage, mm-hmm. it just looked like a shitty leather blazer uh, there's a lot of competition for good quotes to lead off from gone in 60 seconds is that what you're peeping at right now yes all right go on you've got i'm a bad man mm-hmm. memphis well, these are all memphis quotes because i'll memphis only Rains. let you i'll only let you quote nick cage as memphis reigns good villain in that though i just stole 50 cars in one night i'm a little tired a little wired and I think I deserve a little appreciation. What's the Power name Athlete of, Radio? What's the name of, John, of uh, Master P? Wasn't it Johnny? Dude, I, I just saw Can't Master remember. P in the Atlanta airport. What? Yeah, last travel. So took a break and just caught a beer and fucking sitting next to Master P and his his And uh, you tell this sons. now. Yeah. Hmm. I always see people I recognize in the airport. This is just the first, like... Uh, what was his name? Uh, Johnny B or something. He's like... Uh, 
The third quote for competition is, the ladies are dirty. Walk away. The ladies are dirty. <laughs> the ladies. The pit boss lady, or the pit boss's lady is dirty. The ladies are dirty. Walk away. It's a great quote. If I ever call you and All say, right. the ladies are dirty. Barreling forward. What's his real name? Uh, Memphis Rings? No, that's his... Uh, Master P. Oh, I don't know, Tex. How, how are you How are you struggling Johnny with this? Johnny B. These are like, I think it's Johnny B. I think... He's like, he's like uh, what's the name of Kalitri? What's his, what's his first name? Raymond Kalitri? Yeah. Dude, he's like, he's, he's like fire right now. He's like, Raymond Kalitri hired you for a job that should have gone to me. Ah, uh, Johnny B. Tex, you're... Like, this is remedial... Percy. This is remedial Googling... And I can't believe it's taking more than <laughs> dude, he's, fucking three he's minutes just, to do this stuff. Uh, dude, uh, uh, listen, I'm not trying to jam you up. Put in Master P gone in 60 seconds. I'm not trying to jam you up, but like we This has become a problem. A, yeah, we're on a timetable here. Yeah, it's Johnny B, Master P. <laughs> yeah, it's Johnny B. Is it Johnny B? Yeah. How? Oh, I stopped my stopwatch. I, I, that was a six-minute Google for one fucking thing. <laughs> I, I was reading something else. You say you do here. I guess this is a technology company. All right, barreling forward, people. <laughs> Spoiler alert. This, podcast, <laughs> this is not the last you'll hear about God in 60 seconds. In the oh, we're leaving this in? Yeah, we are. Oh. That's gold, uh, Let me tell you. The, uh, I'm, I'm going to get a text from the hands being like, I cut all that out. No. You guys are idiots. No. Yeah. You want to know why? Because... I control the information. And when you control information. <laughs> I control the mail. <laughs> you know, you control the mail. You control information. Ladies and gentlemen. Oh, dude, I just, if you look at my recently viewed IMDB page, mm-hmm. this is not good. This is embarrassing. What is it? It's all good M- shit. Megan Fox, Master P. <laughs> just roll with the intro. Thank you for li- tuning in Let's to roll. <laughs> the uh, premier podcast in strength and condition. Ing. 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 Today we have a brilliant show with a brilliant guest. The bees are intentional. Brett Bartholomew. That's right. We are going to be talking about conscious coaching. We are going to be talking about all sorts of crazy Instagram um, issues. I mean, what you call it? I don't know. Listen, people, we're talking about authenticity. We're talking about consciousness. We're talking about being deliberate with who you are and true with who you are and how to apply that to coaching. But spoiler alert, people, if you're not a coach, let's say you're an athlete or you're a parent or you're just a human who interacts with other humans on a daily basis. I think there's a lot of head, a lot of head for you. Uh, you I was really excited. I thought it was great. I'm really hoping that Tex can glean something from Brett's lead and become more human. Hmm. Tex, are you a robot? No, not that's at all. what a fucking robot would say. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they say before the robots take over. So this is coming. Oh, you know what's happening tonight? If you're a live listener, if you're the person who's just sitting at work waiting for this podcast to launch, waiting for Callie to wake up and like just hit submit so it gets to <laughs> iTunes, Callie, it's not that complicated. We are a few hours into the Johnny Watt training camp. Is that correct? Yeah. The, the release date. And you know what? We're just spreading it like butter. Oh, dude, it's, I'm stoked. Are we watching God in 60 seconds right now? <laughs> yes, that is what's happening. We owe it to our listeners. We owe it to, to, to Nick Cage. <laughs> is he coming to the Johnny Watt training camp? I hope I, so. I, 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 I Rumor has it. But beyond that, ladies and gentlemen, we are just a few days away from the launch of Semester Tex. Nine. Uh, Niner. The Dude. Power Athlete Methodology Level 1 course. Ladies and gentlemen, Boom. it's a coaching experience. It's a coaching extravaganza. Any other, really. Unlike any other. Mm-hmm. You've got guys like Jean Wellborn, featured guest of Power Athlete Radio, W-E-L-B-O-R 
and B O U R N E. Well, no, that's a well-born A. That's, oh, yeah, that's, that's the French guy. We don't know him. <laughs> you have Mr. Tex McQuilkin and myself about a year and a half ago sat down, collaborated, compared notes on the thousands of coaches and athletes we had interfaced with in over uh, 200 cities across the world. How many continents have we been on? Six. Six Just countries. missing Antarctica. There's a big penguin bit that oh. John just won't let die, but we, we've already oh. wasted enough time. I totally forgot about the penguins, that, okay. we, that we went down to Antarctica and worked with those penguins I, on I their toes bad, forward. I got a feeling it, it was the last Brett Bartholomew <laughs> show that we made that joke. Well, you know, he... Um, Two years ago. Uh, it's probably a short joke in there somewhere, but uh, I'm going to leave that one alone. But ladies and gentlemen, all of this information distilled down into the most effective and useful coaching tactics to unlock athletic potential of your athletes of your child of yourself it's never too late you know and we we delineate the difference between fitness and strength and conditioning and these training ing. these these training ing i didn't get ing out of that guy ing. uh outcomes in how it relates to athleticism people 44 lessons nine sections over four hours of video a workbook mm -hmm. that will help you unlock any training that you want to follow. It's not just about Jack Street. We use Bedrock as the foundation, but you can apply this to fucking anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jack Street, Field Strong, anything we offer or outside of this. Mm -hmm. So we introduce the definition of athleticism and then guide you through a whole strength and conditioning principles, lay out a program, how to teach movements, and put you in a position to apply this information mm -hmm. To improve your coaching ability as your athletes increase their abilities. And listen, people, we know that if you haven't, this is a big investment for you. It's a lot of time. It's cash out of the pocket. But you are investing in yourself and your trade. We have uh, now have posted, as of today, a little free sample for you to peek in and get a feel for what the heck you're getting yourself into. So head to academy.powerathletehq.com to check out that sample, to sign up for the methodology course. It's your first step towards becoming a block one coach and joining the network of coaches that we call our block one coaches network. <laughs> that was anticlimactic. Yeah, that was well, that's good. Huh? <laughs> well, John, and that's where it ends. And it begins right here. No, but in this episode, to give them a preview, he, he talks about the value of the block in which you invest mm -hmm. your time and efforts in developing yourself as a coach and an individual, and then you take the tour out to Power Athlete Ranch, test, we provide feedback for your coaching, not a lot of people do that, mm -hmm. and then you see if you earn the right to call yourself a block one coach and get handed by John Wellborn, a hand-welded John Wellborn original, original block. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with and actually we are rolling out the new stamp. Ooh. That's right. Oh, baby. Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, out. get there. Academy.powerathletehq.com. And time to tune in to Mr. Brett Bartholomew bringing a, a nicely manicured beard to the show and a lot of fucking great. Oh, it's fun. Great stuff. So, let's do it. Ready, set. Let's roll. Let's roll. The ladies are dirty. Yeah, we're, we're just... Hunting down the origin of the phrase cocaine, hell of a drug. <laughs> that's oh yeah, that's uh, that that is. It's Con? No, no, that would have been. Uh, that's that's <laughs> Dave Chappelle. That's yeah, James Chappelle, Con in real life, but did. yeah, James, James Con in real life, but Dave, Dave Chappelle and who was he playing? Uh, you know, uh, Rick Rick James. Rick James. Yeah. yeah. 
I met uh, we uh, dude. I met James Con with Tony Gonzalez at NASCAR. No way. At the NASCAR at the Indy Five or um, Daytona Five Hundred. So Power Athlete Nation, just a heads up: this show has turned into who has John Wilborn met that Texan Luke haven't heard about in the past <laughs> eight years? Because he's got to be eventually. You're gonna you have yeah. to slip in made up stories. Oh uh, well, I'm that's pretty, gonna be a requirement. I, I recall a conversation where one of Luke's dream dinner guests is Jimmy Con, the son. Oh, of mean, James Conn. You mean my wife's second cousin? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's oh, what really? it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's pretty, <laughs> no. f- it's pretty distant relationship, Brett. Like distant I, in the way that we're all related to Genghis Khan distant? or I Kind of like that, from what I understand from her. Geng- I, uh, you know what? Or second birth, I just put that together. Genghis just, Khan and James Khan, even though different spelling, likely related. a lot of similar DNA and life goals. Boom. Yeah. It's... But true story. I believe Packy's second Aunt? Is that a thing? Second aunt? is How do you get a second cousin? Um, I don't know. Whatever that process is, whoever that female was, I believe was very... I think your, I second, believe, like, my, I think your second aunt is like the aunt of your aunt. In, yeah, no, aunt like... I, I know what it is. It's an aunt. aunt so law. my dad's brother, my uncle... Marries, becomes my aunt, uh-huh. and then one of her sisters. sisters. Bingo. So completely That's unrelated, yeah. blood-wise, but like in a, mm-hmm. you know, a wedding. Well, apparently she had a few wild decades in Hollywood. Let's just put it that way. And that's how Scott Kahn was born. No joke. That's just how it fucking works. Let's talk about the real rock star of the Kahn family. It is Tweeter from Varsity Blues. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that's really, you know. Yeah, you don't like Tweeter, just get the hell out. Well, I thought uh, I really liked him in um, with Nicolas Cage in Gone in 60 Seconds. Yeah, that's that's what I'm talking right? Who Who is that? Yeah. What con is that? That's the short, well, the short con. <laughs> no, no, the long con. <laughs> oh, the long con. Sorry. Yeah, that's, sorry. That's my move. What, to be the short con? No, the, uh, the long con. Oh, no. I it's, forgot. Uh, Texas long conning Scott everybody. Con. Scott Con yeah. is his son. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's so, Tweeter, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Now, Brett, hang on. To keep our track record of totally unrelated strength conditioning talk up, are we all on the same page that Gone in 60 Seconds is a legitimate good movie? Oh, uh, it's one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah, pretty good with it. Yeah. All right, cool. Because that came up in a group, my obvious, you know, all bros have group chat. That it was a bad movie, and I said uh, no fucking way. Like it's well, not Fast and Furious. So, I think but it was Fast legitimate. and Furious stole their plot. No, so so there's some really cool pieces of that movie. Uh, that uh, that Eleanor car, car that was created for specifically for that movie, based off the Shelby, became like a huge cultural phenomenon. And these like you know rip off Shelbys, uh, unique motorsports here in Texas, like made like a, a, a ton of them. And that actually rekindled uh, like the love of like Shelby and Carol Shelby and all this whole thing. So it was pretty Which amazing. Which is like a I, I and also because of that movie and it's pretty compelling like there there wasn't a lot of original Shelby work right no well there I mean uh, for a Shelby they had a bunch of fiberglass parts but I mean that was like a new rendition for the movie and was pretty I remember when I saw the car I was like oh shit and then uh, Dean Bryant who's a pretty famous old custom car guy uh, that I had met he it was his 50 Merc that was in it when they're driving away and it shoots flames mm-hmm. and um, me being a 1940 and 1950 Mercury owner that was a big deal and then huh. uh he, uh, yeah, so he, and then all, like all those Ferraris and that, I mean, just for like the cars that they had were pretty amazing in that. Yeah. At oh, the time man. I was, I was driving a 1998 Chevy S10 pickup truck, sports side, and, uh, it had dual exhaust flow master, no big deal. And I <laughs> no tried to get that fucking exhaust to spit fire 
and I like uh, exp- it was like me. Do and we have man time to go into this? Like, do you know the how process to of try? Do you know the process of, of shooting fire? Short answer: No. It had to burn rich, right? And yeah. You have to put spark plugs spark in plugs. there, and, and then, then you, you push that. And there, there was right. like a barbecue igniter yeah. deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, I do. Let's be realistic. If we're really gonna start talking about classic movies, Big Trouble in Little China is oh, the only yeah. one that we really need Easy to see. Oh god, uh, uh, just peed, McQuilkin just peed in his pants a little bit. That's like six to midnight. Yeah, he's like. Uh, I think you watch it at least once a week, don't you? Yeah. In the tank top. I own the tank top. Uh, yeah, with no pants on. Now you're really pissing me off to no end. That's just a great thing. But Brett, it's a woman's tank top, which makes it sexier. Yeah. If Kurt Russell wears it, I mean, Kurt Russell gets away with anything, even in this Me Too movement culture. You know what I mean? And that's no offense to anybody listening. Kurt Russell, Kurt Russell is immune to most things. Let's just be honest. That's just, mm-hmm. it's Kurt Russell. That's all I need to say. I, I, that oh, solidified man. me in Fast 6 when he took a, a 80 mile an hour head on collision and him and Statham, like, what? no, wait, it was the Rock and Statham. Yeah, when they got no, 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 no. Kurt Russell, they brought him in to save that movie franchise. Yeah, no, I mean, he he showed up uh, and had like some like weird beer thing. He's like, oh, I got a case of beer over there. You can only have it if it's a Corona. God, I hate Coronas. Oh, yeah. We're a Modelo team. Sound like Ken Ah, Kniff. There was a whole deal there for a while. I remember Runyon used to drink like Corona by the case. And I've drank way too many of those things to the point where people like want a Corona. I'm like, I'm good. I, I don't want any Coronas. I'm good. Yeah, I'm a Pacifico guy. Well, Modelo. Oh, Modelo. Right. Whatever. Barreling forward. What should we do now? Uh, talk to our guest. <laughs> Ladies What's and gentlemen, going on? Brett Bartholomew. Hey, man, I guess in case anyone's lived under a rock and they haven't heard your name and don't know what you're doing, and uh, we have a lot of those folks maybe listening to Power Athlete Radio. Mom, Dad, love you. Um, huh. Or they just don't like me, so they <laughs> tune out. <laughs> Even better. Give us some background, man. What are you up to? How'd you get here? Reader's Digest version so I don't lose anybody. I'm a strength coach from Omaha, Nebraska. I was hospitalized at 15. I started working with collegiate athletes of all kinds, 23 sports, started working with professional athletes, realized they didn't give a shit about what periodization cycles and schemes I was using uh, unless I could relate it to something that mattered to them. Imagine that. Jargon doesn't win people over that don't lift weights for a living. I uh, started uh, realizing cars, uh, bo- bottle service and hot chicks. Exactly. I okay. uh, started realizing really quick that, you know, there's a lot out there that teaches us what to coach as strength and conditioning coaches, uh, but very little that teaches us how to coach, you know, and I'm not talking about warm, fuzzy. Everybody needs to know how much you care about them. Bullshit. I mean, like literally understanding human uh, influence, persuasion, power dynamics, egos, insecurities, and overall constructs of self-awareness so that people don't just model, um, you know, who they were coached by or how they were coached or coaches they think are successful, but people that really are, are authentic leaders and people that are adaptable. So I've spent the last three years of my 13 years in the field so far, um, breaking off on my own, creating a company that provides those resources, companies called Art of Coaching. I'm uh, starting my doctoral work. So right now, currently, I'm still a practicing strength and conditioning coach, doctoral student, adjunct professor, keynote speaker, and then business owner, just trying to figure this all out and scale a helpful message. That's the stuff that won't lose people. If anybody else is interested in the the nitty gritty, not so awesome, holy shit, you spent a year in the hospital details, my book's on Amazon and it's $20. Skip your coffee for three days. I promise you can read it. Half those proceeds go to Alzheimer's Foundation. There you go, people. And... Is this third time on Power? Oh, yeah. So you're alum. You are. You've reached this third smoking tier. jacket. Do we I don't get a smoking have, jacket like the five timers club? Ooh, 
we John John's made it. Uh, yeah, no, three episodes. I've featured? been on more than three episodes, haven't I? Yeah, <laughs> maybe. We'll have to go and look back. Uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, the problem but, is I usually black out on these, so you could tell me anything. Yeah, elite elite company. So very rare, Brett. You welcome to the club, pal. Thanks for having me. It's always good talking with you guys. It's good to see you in Austin, Texas, as well. Yeah, that's right. That was just a couple of days ago. And for listeners who have our first. A couple days uh, ago. Well, in the grand scheme of things, mm. you know. In the relative. galactic, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it was just two days ago. Well, you <laughs> exactly. got to remember that we do have documented proof now of a black hole. So yeah. this Wakanda is pretty life. amazing stuff, seeing as that they theorized black holes and we'd never actually have any proof of them, even though they knew they exist. And, like, I was reading oh. all about this, like. Uh, so you uh, believe this proof? I thought we oh, observed. You, oh, black you don't believe the picture. I, I think the, the black, black hole's flat like Earth. I thought yes. the black hole was Kelly's <laughs> cold, dead heart. <laughs> I'm trying you know, to make a black hole joke in Cali. It's fucking you guys are a special bunch. <laughs> yes, we are. Anyways, Brett, you were 237 and 210. That's not for you. That's actually for any listeners who, once is, their minds are Is that his weight? This, Two, 210 and 237? It's my girth. Uh, mm-hmm. You ain't no lady if you ain't 280. Who says that? Nobody I know. A Dusty Cracker's mom. <laughs> but uh, no, man, thanks for jumping on the show. And uh, yeah, we got to hang out realistically a couple months ago. Yeah, January UT Sports mm-hmm. Performance Clinic. Yeah. Right. And you've been doing a lot of speaking and traveling. Where have you been the last few months all over the world? 46 countries, man. Um, yeah, I mean, most recently, Canada went three different places in Australia, uh, was in Portugal, China. Um, yeah, it's been interesting. It's been cool coach education though. Cause it's, you know, I always, it's funny when people ask, Hey, what tips do you have for a coach? And I'm by no means a perfect coach. That's the fun of coaching. Nobody ever will be a perfect coach. Um, they always expect me to be like, Hey, just keep reading research and intern and do this and do that. But, and those things are important, but I, I think traveling and getting around different cultures and different coaches within different cultures is immensely valuable. Cause you just learn that some shit that flies in the Western side of the world uh, not so much everywhere else. And we can get really caught up in our own dogma of what we think works really well. And, you know, what we think we have down pat, you know, and we have a very like American football centric culture here. Right. So like that, that type of coaching style always kind of takes center stage. But when you work with different athletes and different sports from different backgrounds, you really have to see how, you know, to adapt to these things. So yeah, the travel takes up a big part of what I do. And then right now, literally today, as I talked to you was the last day of OTA prep for a lot of the NFL guys. So We've been going heavy and hard on that since February. Yeah, man, and I, something we picked up as well traveling for the <laughs> seminar series when it was uh, CrossFit football, SSA, our evolution there. You know, it's not what's interesting as you even go, let's say just regionally. Within our space, it was predominantly like micro gym owners, CrossFit affiliate owners and shit like that. Yeah. When you're exposed to like an, a breadth of skill level at a seminar as well, you really have to refine your message and understand the struggles that people are having out of phase one, phase two, phase three of their coach's journey. Right. And then yeah, similarly, I think, yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. And then now you, you throw in the other lens of doing that also regional, like in Europe or in Asia or in fucking South America, like any of these other areas, it just builds a breath, a different appreciation for the coach's journey, right? Yeah, it builds a different uh, appreciation for it and also aligns you to just what coaches universally are struggling with. And that's why I think I was really big on starting Art of Coaching is you find that ubiquitously, like there's a lot of information out there on training now. And John, you and I have talked about this, you know, a lot. And you guys, one of the reasons I respect you guys is just how dedicated you are to craftsmanship. But like you also understand the people side too. 
And it's just kind of like, I think a lot of times people don't realize that as you as unique and nuanced and awesome as a periodization and programming and X's and O's is, it's easier to teach people that stuff than it is how to relate and get people going and turn the thumb screws internally. And so I think for a while, what I struggled with my first year when I started really preaching that message is people thinking that I was saying that that other piece wasn't important. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not saying that. But like, I guess just look around. How many clinics and conferences are there that deal with psychosocial aspects or even financial aspects or career aspects, right? Yet, like we've all gone to clinics and conferences where it's like five presentations on the clean or bands and chains. And like, I just think that people are, are spending so much time solving problems that really aren't problems at all. Like when I hear somebody like go into these crazy nuances of, of periodization, it's like, dude, your athletes aren't even ready for that. Is that really more for you or is that for them? It's like stored, so, uh, like like stored kinetic energy in eccentric loading of a band over six feet. You know, you're like, whoa, wait. <laughs> you during, know, during the third week of the off yeah, season. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah. like you know, and, and at the end of the day, like uh, I mean, dude, you saw this, man. Like um, I always think that even like the the most well intentioned, best program, poorly executed with shitty effort, is is worse than like. The, you know, hey, uh, we have a universal gym in this, uh, you know, hotel fucking weight room and uh, everybody goes in there and smashes it is more valuable. And yeah, I, John, I couldn't uh, like without a uh, doubt, yeah. you said that. And what's funny, man, and I wish I would have gotten your reaction on this because, John, I'd even like to hear your reaction just hearing it. I remember the book first came out. And it's like two years old now and a couple two years old in a couple weeks and some guy just wrote some article and it's so funny. I used to get so pissed about this, but now I'm just like, dude, keep it coming. Like write whatever you want about the book. But this guy is a strength coach, relatively small school, not that that mattered, small school, big school, whatever. And he's like, funny how our field now feels like we need to work on communication. Isn't that something we do every day? And I'm like, yeah, motherfucker, that's why you should work on it. Like, you know, communication is something we all still really suck at. Like, by all means, if you're listening to this and you've never had an argument, you've never had a disagreement, you've never said something that pissed somebody off and you didn't mean to, you've never uh, worded something the wrong way, you've never stuttered when you spoke, you never just rubs, you know, just had an issue. God bless you. And I want to learn from you. But by and large, I think as long as we're operating on this planet, communication is going to be an issue. And it's super messy, right? And it's super messy because people don't see it for what it is. Communication through the research is a goal oriented endeavor. Like nobody communicates by accident, verbally or non verbally, there's always a goal. And really where we fuck up, sorry for my language is people are so bad at listening and recognizing their weak points that they just don't realize like, oh, I'm the problem, right? Like if there's a miscommunication, like I'm the problem because it's always the one communicating who the responsibility falls on. Even if they're like, yeah, well, what if somebody's not listening? Still your fault. Get them to listen, figure out attention. Oh, you don't know anything about human attention because for 20 years, you're reading the same research from the same journals. That sucks because it sounds like you change your loading strategies and your exercises, but it doesn't sound like you change the way you try to connect with people. So it's just crazy. Like for somebody to be like, oh, I don't need to work on communication. Do God yeah, bless but, you. You should be running this planet. But I mean, um, it's kind of interesting. And you think about like a lot of coaches are in a situation where uh, like the fish are in the barrel, right? So like if you're, uh, let's say you're an NFL strength coach and this guy's coming in and he has, you know, he has to be there, you know, as per, you know, directed by his deal. Uh, 
so then the coaches kind of look at it like, ah, oh, well, you know, I have the ability to work with them, but like there, I, I wonder how many coaches go out of their way to inspire and make the connection so that the guys want to come in and want to do it. And, and I've had string coaches both ways. I've had guys where I was looking forward to going in there and I was glad to work with them because not only did I know that they were excited and interested in me as an individual, but were more interested in like my personal growth and what I could do. And uh, I think for most professional athletes, if you can find somebody who's vested in you and wants you like, you know, you to succeed more past than just themselves, I think uh, guys really look and they look for that kind of um, authenticity. And I can think of other people I've been around where I'm like, man, this motherfucker's just punching a clock. And like professional athletes and most people are usually pretty perceptive because they've been around it a long time and they know who's out for them. They, you know, they know who's, you know, running up to the back office to fucking rat them out on stuff. And like that disloyalty thing goes real fast. And you've seen this all of a sudden, like one dude starts not trusting somebody because he might be talking behind his back or talking to the coaches. And all of a sudden he talks to everybody and then that dude just loses everybody. And I saw that on numerous occasions. So it's it's like everything you're talking to, John, is a skill, right? Like it's. There's a, a researcher named Owen Hargy that talks about like when you look at just skills, when we talk about skills, right? Skill behaviors are goal directed. Nobody just like learns something because like there's no you know outcome they're hoping to achieve, whether it's an instrument, they want to play beautiful music. If it's, uh, you know, doing stuff with woodworking and they want to build something, excuse me, sorry, I got something in my throat. Um, skill behaviors are always interrelated. There's always a lot of components, right? They're complex. There's a lot of moving parts to them. They've got to be contextual, meaning they're appropriate to the situation. Uh, They're usually defined in terms of uh, like some kind of unit of behavior, like how does somebody carry out that skill? But most importantly, they're learned. So we've created this kind of environment within coaching, strength and conditioning in particular, where we have dedicated ourselves to learning certain skills as it pertains to technical expertise and knowledge on the programming side. But we don't look as we don't look at communication as a skill. I think people think like it's just something we do. No, not at all. It's a skill. It's a skill without a doubt. And it's super hard to learn because it's just messy. Your head gets in the way. You're listening to somebody else and thinking about what you want to say. You're thinking, do I sound like an idiot? And so I just think that that's tough for people to understand that coaching isn't just about context. It's also about communication. And I, I also just don't think that's sexy to people. Um, I don't think you get sexy to them until they realize like their career is stymied, not because of their inability to understand a certain programming strategy, but because people just don't like them. You know what I mean? Like somebody yeah. doesn't like them or somebody doesn't relate to them. And then it's like, oh, like maybe I need to learn this. And so it's kind of tough. And how many times does someone have somebody to coach them on the faults of their communication well, tactic, right? And so I would say almost the soft language or the hard language or inaccuracies, unintentional inaccuracies because you're rushing your point versus just taking your time to get the precise point out. People don't do that. Well, but uh, call bullshit on people if they're commu- Yeah, yeah. Okay, if yeah. you think about like mentorship and this is, um, you know, relating back to the conversation I had yesterday, uh, had about a three hour on this deal. Like the, idea of, uh, you know, people fail at the margins of their experience. So you tend to parent or you tend to coach like you were coached, like as the model. And it's very few people that are able to look at it and say, you know what, like um, my parents or my coaches, whoever, you know, if you want to draw the parallel, were people too. And they were failing at the margins of their experience. So do I have the desire to keep perpetuating the same situation uh, that I was involved in? And you'll see this as a parent, you'll like, you tend to fall into these 
situations where I'm going to parent the way I was parented and whether it be right or wrong, it's what I know is my default. So I know, and, and Brett brought up a good point that most of the strength conditioning in this country is tinted through professional, really football, mm-hmm. American football, which is this kind of old school, you know, to quote Zach Ebenesh, but it's this kind of like tough guy, old school, you know, grind them here, you know, this. And, and for the most part, it's, um, it's fucking outdated for the athletes who are in uh, primary positions where they need this. And like that, while that works for uh, a big, you know, a decent set of the population, you end up fucking alienating a massive amount. And, you know, yeah. Brett, Brett knows working with his professional athletes and getting his guys ready for OTAs. If he took the fucking old school hammer approach to every single dude, he'd probably fucking connect with maybe one out of 10 and then seven out of 10 guys be like, that guy's a fucking asshole. And regardless of, of how great a coach he is and how jiggy all the other shit is, he's just lost those people and they'll <laughs> fucking leave. And then he doesn't have any chance to influence them. So I yeah, think that for, happened. I mean, that, that, I mean, when I came out of collegiate strength and conditioning to go to the private sector, you know, I, for a while I was still coaching like that and that's not wrong or indifferent. And I'm certainly not saying every college strength coach coaches the same way, but I think everybody knows what I mean. And in terms of that archetypical college strength coach, hype, 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 you know, go, go, go tea. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's just fucking, yeah. Exactly. Like like three sizes too small. Right. Like I remember when I was an intern, like because I had hair, I got called pretty boy because everybody else was like shaved head and all that. And I'm like, well, okay. do you know where the but, shaved head goatee thing came from? It was the, the fucking West side thing. Yeah, like, yeah, for sure. Dude, if you were a strength coach, you had to have the shave head goatee because all the West Side dudes had that. And when I see it today, I'm like, oh, still with the still shave with head the goatee. shaved head goatee <laughs> West Side thing. huh? Oh, OK, yeah. But but like the, just real quick that, to touch on your point, John, because I have yeah. ADD and I'll drop it. But like there's this really good there's this guy named Bruce Avolio and he wrote research. And I think it was like in 2007. And he was like, I'll paraphrase this. I'll probably butcher it. But he was like, you know, if the accumulated science of leadership had kind of produced this periodic table of elements, right. Of what it took to be a great leader. He was, he said, one might conclude that leadership is focused way too narrowly on these elements that, you know, leaders focus on what leaders think makes a great leader, right. Those in charge, but they've completely ignored the relevant elements of leadership in the follower context. So the perception of the individuals being led, and that's where I think, you know, I'll lose some people here and that's okay. I'm just being honest and I reserve the right to be wrong about this, but that's where I just think kind of transformational leadership and servant-based leadership is wrong. And I'm not saying it's not useful in certain contexts with certain people or what have you. So before I get like hate mail, like I'm not saying that I'm saying that it's wrong in certain contexts and that like, you know, not everybody needs somebody to like be this positive role model. Sometimes you just got to fucking be able to get under somebody's skin and, and show some dark sided personality traits to get people going. You know, it's kind of like, pressure tactics aren't really, I think we'd all say like a do this or else approach isn't always effective long-term, but for some people they can be effective in the moment, just like, you know, but at the same time, like an exchange tactic we view as, uh, we view as reciprocity, Hey, do this. And then I'll do that. Right. Like, and it doesn't always have to be carrot, carrot and stick. It could just be like a collaboration or a consultation. And even though that's viewed as right, or that's ethical, that's not always going to work for some people. You give some people an inch and they're going to take a mile. And so, you know, a lot of my studies now just focus on like, Hey, what have we looked at as like the real true leadership and what's kind of bullshit. And again, when I say bullshit, it doesn't mean that it's wrong. Leadership's in the gray area. That's my thesis statement. But you know, people have to realize it is completely contextual and they just don't understand that. And that's a big reason why we're doing workshop. Like I say, we art of coaching, like, putting together workshops now where people do a lot of small group interacted, almost, almost think of it as improv where, you know, we'll give people certain contextual situations, whether they're dealing with a difficult athlete, whether they're asking an AD for a raise, whatever, any number of things that happen in leadership and coaching and what have you. 
and we're evaluating them on five or six different things. Both uh, they're doing a self-evaluation, they're getting peer evaluation. And the beauty, John, is like it doesn't matter. Let's say you were getting evaluated, right? And the, one of the people in your group is like a 20-year-old coach that doesn't know shit, just hasn't gone through it. And maybe you give a crap evaluation and then text gives you a great evaluation, right? And text, let's say, is a more experienced coach and yada, yada, yada. Well, inherently, you're more likely to get pissed at the young coach and be like, dude, how are you about to give me that grade? Like, what do you know? But at the end of the day, that doesn't matter. It's just how that guy saw it. You yeah, can't no, get I, emotional about I, it. I, like, I have long since given up um, trying to understand how other people, like, uh, perceive. It, it, yeah, like, I know how I perceive myself, but yeah. how they perceive me is different than how I perceive myself. And I can't necessarily control, I mean, other than, you know, by, you know, being punctual, saying what I'm going to do, uh, you know, like doing what I say I'm going to do, uh, you know, like all of the normal traits of humanity, like being a good fucking person, doing you say what you're going to do, uh, don't fuck people over, don't steal. I mean, all the normal traits that you would assume people would subscribe to, unfortunately, they don't. So through those kind of ideas, I can control my perception. But at the end of the day, uh, you might just not fucking like me for some other fucking obvious reason. And or unobvious reason. And so when I get into situations and you've seen this man where you're like, I'm just not getting a good fucking vibe from this guy. And what I realized is a lot of times it's not me and it's this individual. And I sometimes wonder where, you know, people get into it and they have preconceived, uh, whether it's notions or their own barriers. And then you get into these situations where you're like, Hey, you need to expand past this to make yourself a more comprehensive coach to be able to connect. And they can't do it because that barrier is already there. And a lot of that barrier just comes down to like vulnerability and the ability to be like, I don't know everything and I'm not the best person, but I'll tell you this, like nobody's going to work harder and I'm going to have really good information and I want you to do the beat to be the best. And, um, I think as long as you can take a very authentic approach in that way, um, I don't really know what else you can do. And like, I, I, and I know you probably are like the master of the mind games cause you deal with a ton array of professional athletes. For me, I'm the type of dude where it's like, just put me in the best fucking position and stand the fuck back and yeah. I'll fucking run through the wall. Believe me, I don't need you to fucking give me a, that a boy, pat me on the back. I don't need any fucking cheering. Just fucking wind me up and send me in that direction. Exactly. And you're the guy, you're the kind of guy that like, that's, that's what, exactly what I mean. That's an excellent point you know, we're taught that being a good leader is, uh, you know, just again, show them how much you care and do that. And there's a lot of ways to do that, by the way. You know, I think people, I have to be careful of anybody that misinterprets. I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't care about these people. I'm just talking to the warm, fuzzy kind of Dr. Phil shit that a lot of times have 90% of the leadership books out there. There's just no, there's no leadership book that like really just talks about, Hey, you know what? Yeah, that can be effective for some people, but not everybody wants a hug. Not everybody wants a hug. And you know, there are some people that are good soldiers and just literally they, they want to be pointed in the right direction and they want to be given some clear and concise information and direct feedback. And it's okay to let them know that they messed up and roll. But like we've just gotten, and maybe it's a political correctness movement. You know, maybe, it, maybe it's a lot of things. I think it's a lot of things, but just why, why are we trying to create coaches that are cardboard cutouts? You know, one of the, one of the shirts that we have at Art of Coaching just says adaptable across it. And it's like, you shouldn't try to create a coach that's a cardboard cutout because let's say, let's say somebody came to a, one of our Art of Coaching apprenticeships, right? And we grade them and whatever, like you're going to grade them in the context of which, you know, they're going to have to coach. There's some environments where a sport coach and the kids may want a little bit more hyped environment. Who are we to say that that's wrong? There are other ones where it needs to be a little bit more technically oriented. Let's say you're working with skeleton, you know, with the Olympics or just whatever. That's just an example, right? But like, nobody's trying to make coaches the same. What we're trying to do with art of coaching is saying, Hey, here's just kind of where you exist on this spectrum of verbal, nonverbal, technical, logistical, you know, all these kinds of things, just to give you like a pinpoint. 
So your score is even relative to your environment. Even if you have a shit score on some things, we totally understand that that might be appropriate for your context. So don't, don't be a baby about it, you know? And I think you're spot on. It's just really, really, really hard for people to be like, yeah, you know what? Um, I have some things to work on as a coach because it's a taken for granted practice in coaching. Here's the, here's a, t- and before I turn it over and I'm sorry to be long wind, I'm just really passionate about this. Right I now. frankly love when you talk, uh, because, uh, <laughs> it doesn't, uh, it allows us to hear it, but, in, and it's also good, man. It's, it's good for the, uh, information, the mentorship. And what's good is I know you have ADD cause I have it. And when you talk fast, I can pick up a lot of information. It's when people talk slow, I start fucking tapping my fingers. So keep <laughs> well, rolling. And I think it's just, it's fresh. I appreciate that. And it's fresh cause like we did, you know, I did a workshop on this in January and I'm releasing a course on a lot of it on May 1st through the 5th. Yeah. We're doing and, and a lot of it was talking about perception, a word that you brought up. And there's really two fundamental truths of perception. One, people can only attribute value of any kind subjectively. You ask somebody what the best pizza is in town. It doesn't matter who uses the best ingredients. That can be measured objectively, right? Like with the quality of the meat, all these things. But at the end of the day, there's still some people that for some reason love Little Caesars. You know what I mean? They just, oh, they're going, or like you go to Chicago and you're like, who's got the best deep dish? And somebody's going to say, oh, Giordano's or Gino's East or whatever. And then Blue the other thing, I'm sorry? Blue Malnati's, that's the answer. Yeah, there you go, right? Like, but it's, that's what I mean. So I do, can only it's unbelievable. It's, it's the best pizza. I mean, some of the best we've ever. What about the Berkeley one? Uh, that's the, well, that is the best. Uh, Lou's pretty good, but uh, have you been to Zachary's Pizza in, in no. Oakland? Oh my no. God. I took Tex there. I'm like, it's probably the best pizza I've ever had. Lou's is pretty good. And Tex was like, uh, okay. And then he went and, and it was the best. I haven't had pizza since. See, well, and, and so that's like, even think what you just did there, right? Cause this fits into these two truths. One, you can only attribute value subjectively. And then two early judgments tend to rule our decision-making. So for most people, it's that primacy effect, right? Like if they have, I remember the best pizza I've ever had to this day. And if I, we really looked at it objectively as objectively as we could, um, I remember there was this arcade, right? Like in Nebraska called WC Frank's and I'm a sauce guy. So like the sauce makes the pizza and it was just, it had just the right hint of everything. And now no matter what, even if I eat something that is higher quality pizza or whatever, that's still the pizza I'm going to remember. It's a primacy effect. It's just like, but you know, the one thing perception is not is passive. Like you can influence it and you can guide it. And that's where I talk about like the different aspects of coaching and it was kind of the principle of conscious coaching that I think got lost because people just like really gravitated to the archetypes is even though uh, subject or value of the perception is subjective, right? It's influenced by our senses. It's highly individual. Very few people are going to uh, value everything the same way. If we understand just good principles of communication, whether that's even marketing strategies, whether that's uh, the verbal cues you use, whether it's the way you, you know, tactile type behavior, like, you can influence that. But influence has gotten such a bad rap because people think influence, sales, marketing, all this shit is a bad word. It's not. Influence just means you're altering somebody's psychological state. So it's not the medium, it's the messenger. If you're doing that for something shitty, right, to buy a lemon, to get them to buy a lemon at your used car dealership, yeah, you're a shithead. But that doesn't mean influence is bad. That just means you wielded it incorrectly. It's like fire or physics. Influence and power are not bad or good. They just are. It's how you wield it. And that's what I'm trying to get people to understand. Well, what about, what about influencer? We had a conversation today um, about one of the things we fucking despise about the world is the social media influencer 
who like, you know, the age old, the girl who's, you know, bending over in the G string with like these Bible quotes or like the dude who, you know, is a <laughs> massive a, fucking a piece thing. of shit as a human. And I, yet, you know, uh, this like, you know, fucking mantra about being authentic and you're reading it and you're like, oh my God, dude. God, that, it's just people fuck. playing it safe with bullshit. They don't no, want to be it, criticized. But it, like, um, the only way that you're not criticized is by fucking doing nothing. Right. If but you're going to do people anything, hear that, they don't. Yeah. And, and you know what? And if everybody likes what you're doing, then you probably need to fucking, fucking do wrong. something else. Fucking wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dude, like uh, you were saying, you know, people are this about the book and everything. And it's like, well, then, dude, it's good because the fact that if everybody was giving you a high five and sucking your dick, talking about how fucking wonderful it is, you're like, damn, I was hoping to write to something thought provoking. I just wasn't looking for somebody to co-sign how great I am. Yeah. You know? If that's the case, you'll really hate my next book. I don't know if I'll write a next book, but I have one in my head that I've kind of toyed with. It would be like three to four years from now, but the really fucking hate that if that's the case because my next book is not going to be for everybody at all any any teasers you want nah, I can't. yeah there? just just too early yeah i mean a lot this, of it just is, sign uh, it to us sign, sign language then they can't yeah i mean the, the best i can tell you a lot of it's tied in with my doctoral work again a lot of it's on power dynamics influence and and you know things like that and just the nitty-gritty of how to make this stuff i'm just like i said i'm tired of they say write the book that you would have wanted to read and we've all been through a lot of shit in life you know what i mean and so when i read these leadership books it just talk about like little motivational quotes and hymns and, you know, just kind of, we are the world stuff. That's not how the world operates. And you know what? That's uh, somebody would consider me nihilistic or, or uh, pessimistic. No, that's not he's a just, nihilist. I care about nothing. <laughs> he's a nihilist. Uh, don't worry, it's Donnie. Like these men the are reality, cowards. I just think, I don't think it does any good for our society to go to these self-help sections and read watered down bullshit that doesn't play in the real world. And I'm not saying I have the answer for that, but I'm saying I'm digging pretty deep into interpersonal politics and the messy part of human interaction. And it's fun. I've never felt so alive since the first time I learned about literally program design and periodization because it's periodization for people. You know what I mean? And our number one our issue in life is, is people like almost all of our problems are social. Nearly every problem we face in life is social to some degree. So I'm like, it's just crazy. I think the problem I have and John, maybe you can relate and text you too. And they're like, I, like all of you probably can just like, my issue is I go deep down these rabbit holes of research or what have you. And then like, I got to step back for a few days because it's like overwhelming. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know what to do with all this shit. And I'm weird. I got whiteboards that are filled. I got notes pages and I'm almost kind of like Eminem is with his lyrics. They asked him how he writes and the dude like pulled out all these sheets of paper and there's lyrics here and lyric and he just picks them out and it's puzzles. I don't have these little productivity notebooks where I'm like, well, I do this one day and that fits neatly here. Like I'd write on my walls if I could. And so it just takes some time, but I just, I don't, I don't like this climate that we're in right now. I don't think it's doing good for people. I think it's creating more problems than it solves. And I think it's creating some really bad shitty coaches because we're not teaching them uh, this term. You're right, John, authenticity is thrown around. First of all, let's be really clear. There's no such thing as a truly original or authentic person. People become who they are out of a process of shared interpersonal interactions, right? Like none of you people are wearing like really weird, crazy shit because socially you've learned some semblance of what you should wear. you right. Like you're not going down the street with like peacock feathers in your hair and you know how to talk and you know, certain verbiage tones and like everybody learns from each other, right? That's like your kid's first words. They don't Big come trouble, out of thin air. China. Just what's up. I said, or you learn from Big Trouble, Little China. Either way, wear. that's a social thing, right? You're observing. Observation and listening is social. And so I think people get caught up on this, like, oh, like be an original, be authentic. And in principle, yeah, that's right. But I think you have to realize is we're all 
we're all this kind of cornucopia of things that we've observed or interacted with. Where'd he go? Is he tired of my shit? Like, uh, I think the most authentic person is the one who is authentic to themselves, that is comfortable within their own skin and being yeah. able to relate this stuff. hundred percent. One, um, I, I had a strength coach in, uh, in college and, uh, he was a fucking asshole. Um, <laughs> and, uh, dude, he was a fucking dick. And the funny part about him is we didn't know which coach we were going to get every day. So like, it might be uh, a very like fucking kind, uh, very caring, like supportive, really good coach who was willing, who was interested in us getting better, or we were just going to get fucking ambushed and, uh, just belittled <laughs> and like actually fucking the type of shit where somebody says something, you're like, that's mean spirited. Um, if this wasn't an environment, you'd totally get fucking punched in the face. And like, it was, and it was like this for years. And, um, like, you know, as a 20 something year old kid, you're just like, oh, this guy's a fucking lunatic. He's an asshole. And you're pissed. And then as you grow older and you interact with more people and I got a chance to go play in the NFL and deal with all these different coaches, you realize that, uh, very few people have the ability to separate what's happening in their personal life and their own failures and anguish and problems and, you know, fucking shortcomings and all the other things that they're pissed off about uh, outside of it. And they have very uh, shitty ability to like put the wall up and cut it off and be like, okay, that's my shit to deal with. I'm not going to let that seep into this relationship and what I'm trying to do with these kids and trying to get these people better. And, um, you know, for me, uh, playing in the NFL, like whatever was happening in my life, I always compartmentalized it and be like, this can never, whatever's going on here, like this can never step in on the field. If I ever get to the point, and I remember there was, um, who's that uh, black dude that played in the NFL and he quit because his girl broke up with him and he was the CrossFitter dude with the dreads. Ricky Williams? James, no, James Townsend. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so, yeah, so James Townsend, I meet him, and he's like, oh, yeah, I played in the NFL. I was a receiver for the Bears, and I, um, and I was like, well, what happened? Did you get hurt? No, no, I just wasn't, didn't want to play. And the, my girl broke up with me, and I was heartbroken, so I quit. And then, like, I realized that, like, what happened? So then I tried to go back, and they basically said, fuck you. And I'm like, dude, you let your personal life seep into your fucking professional career? And he's like, yeah. He's like, you didn't do that? And I was like, fuck no. I was like a serial killer. The minute I walked in there, I turned all that shit off because why would I let this stuff happen? Like leave that shit in the car in the parking lot. When you come in here, you're here to do a task and a job. And uh, like that ability to compartmentalize like like um, and dude, you see this as parents, uh, you know, dad goes, hey, you know, has a shitty day at work and, you know, this problem. And he comes in and fucking he's pissed about something and he's yelling at the kids and this. They don't know what happened at work. They don't know all the other shit that went in. They just know dad's a fucking asshole. And uh, that's not fair to the kids. It's not fair to your wife. It's not fair to your athletes. And so. The thing when I, you know, uh, you know, read your book and went through everything and like listened to all this. And I, I, I wonder if there's ever a fucking chapter to be like, don't let your fucking bullshit and who you are as a human and all your other fucking fears and shortcomings and problems seep into it and negatively affect your athletes because you are too immature to realize that I have a task to do. And these individuals that are have been entrusted to me to make them better, um, I'm fucking failing that because I'm too selfish to realize it. And so like, even for our company, I constantly am doing this fucking pinging thing where like, am I the bottleneck? Am I the problem? Is it my ego? Uh, you know, I have to remove my ego for the success of this whole thing. So I'm like, I ask these guys questions. What do you think about this? And if that's the direction that they, that, that they are fucking passionate about, if Luke's like, Hey, I want to do this hundred percent. I support him. You know why? 
Because at the end of the day, like, I'm not tied up in the fucking minutia. I know that we got to get over there. How we get over there, I've seen everybody run 100 miles an hour. And I think the problem comes down to with strength coaches is they get stuck in this fucking, like, minutia. This was my mentor. This is who I am. And they don't see that yeah. the goal is to get people generally better. And they let all this other shit. I got a shitty job. I had to wake up. And then all that fucking seeps in and ruins the experience. And the athlete never knows any of this shit. He just knows this guy's a fucking asshole and I don't want to work for him. And so my whole deal is like, get out of your own fucking way. Don't be, you know, and it's just this constant thing I'm doing. And you guys will see this as parents. Like you can never let your shortcomings and the things you're pissed off and seep into your family because at the end of the day, your kids and wife aren't going to know. They just know that you're a fucking dickhead. So yeah, I mean, I'm off my fucking soapbox. Sorry. No, no, it's a good point because I mean, you talked about, you mentioned, I don't know if your book, you know, covers that. What's funny is literally the first chapter outside of the introduction was know yourself. Like that was the name of it, you know, and it was three stages of internal identification. It was like, well, yo, listen, like you got to go through kind of this introspection, observation, you know, progression. You got to like fucking just riddle yourself with, with questions, you know, and uh, it's, it's just crazy. Cause it's like in one area, the book did really well. Like, you know, it's still like, it still is to what we're, we're moving towards like a hundred thousand copies in two years for a self-published book, which has been humbling, you know, and cool. But like, I think what upset me is so many people, I don't want to use the word upset. That's fucked up. Um, but when people, they went to the archetypes and there was so much before that came, it was like, Hey, you got to know yourself. You got to understand aspects of human behavior. Then you're going to see these typical examples of behavior, but just like a stereotype, they're incomplete models. You can't just coach based off of them. And I, and you know what? I know people skip the self-awareness chapter because this is what I get. And we did an online course bought in. That is like a step two. It dives so much deeper than the book, so much deeper, especially on like, interpersonal influence and the messiness stuff. And what's funny is literally, John, like literally, what do we have? We had 400 some odd members sign up. And I think less than 10% downloaded the coaching evaluation forms that like asked them, what communication style did you use in this session? Why was that chosen? What were the downsides of that? How did people respond to it? You know, videotape yourself coaching. What were your weaknesses? Well, literally less than 10% did, you know, did that. And you know what? Oh, less than 20% took the exam at the end. And coaches just don't want to be, here's the thing. Strength and conditioning is a lovely field. It's awesome. It's really cool, but it's not yet a profession. And it's not yet a profession because a lot of the coaches within it are really soft and they don't seem soft. I get that a lot of them can squat 800 pounds and they're hard asses and no, 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 no. But like they're soft when it comes to criticizing themselves and pointing the thumb instead of the finger. There's very few that want to sit there and look and be like, uh, maybe I could do this better. And listen, I like th that book came as a result of me doing that to myself. So this isn't a high and mighty, let me teach you how to coach kind of thing. This is me being like, I didn't get the, the feedback I wanted that, at the place that I worked. I loved working there. But, you know, I didn't really get the feedback that I wanted in terms of like, I wanted somebody to tell me I sucked at some stuff because I do. I suck at some stuff and I always will. Uh, instead, it was kind of just a socially responsible, like, hey, like, you know, you're a little loud sometimes, but overall, your enthusiasm is great. And I'm like, nah. So I remember I asked the athletes, I go, hey, what do I suck at? And why do you come to me? And at first, they didn't answer. So I asked again. And eventually, I got some answers. I got some answers. Okay. What did you suck at? Fashion? So, uh, 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 fashion? Is that what you said? Fashion? I sucked at fashion. You're um, like, I'm not a fashionista. I'm sorry. If anything, like one of the best, one of the guys was like, yo, dude, like we get that you love it, but sometimes you almost like try too hard. Like we believe you, we like you, or we wouldn't be here training with you. They're like, you try too hard to help us understand everything. And there's a certain percentage of us that like that, but sometimes it's like, and I'm like, oh, like that's good feedback. I guess I just feel like for me as an athlete, 
I always wanted to know why, right? That's a whole book. That's something like that. That guy has made, Cynic has made like a career off this start with why, but some of these guys are like, yo, like that's great. And some of us want that, but some of us just, you know, we want the guidance, but like, we don't need an explanation for everything. So you know what I learned that day to shut the fuck up sometimes, you know, just sometimes just like, this is what needs to be done. This is how it needs to be done. Don't do it this way. Let them do it. Just shut up. And then if there's some other issues now, guys, Hey, one of the reasons we do it this way is because, but I would just go, man. And I would go because I cared and I wanted them to know it was thought out and that I have respect for their career. And this shit is back to, it's part of our, that's what it is. Do you you think, or sometimes it's own like stroking your ego a little bit. I sometimes think when when I run into people who want to explain everything, it's because I want to prove to you how much I know. And I see that all the time with coaches when, when we deal with it. It was definitely like that at 23 or 25 when I first started working with pro athletes. Cause like I recognized they knew I was, I was young, but it wasn't like I wanted to, um, it wasn't my own ego thing. Like in terms of, I wanted to hear myself talk. I was more insecure of like, will these guys trust me because I'm the youngest coach on staff, you know? And so like, and because it was like, you know, some guys didn't really set me up for success. They'd be like, Hey, you're with the young gun today. I'm like, motherfucker, come on. Like this is guys, you know, coming back from injury. Like, can you not, I mean, and I was sensitive, right. But I was just like, I don't want this guy to think that I'm just some asshole that started today. So I'd get really technical with stuff. And, um, so an old saying that that fits with this. And I dude, I heard this all the time in the NFL, which was, uh, dude, I don't need to know how to make a fucking clock. Just tell me the time. Yeah. And we used yeah, to hear that, that all the time. Too. He's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then yeah. like, like that piece was huge all the time. Be like, just tell me the time, dude. And like, but we I, would get into this whole thing, especially with like the schemes and this and Hey, in cover two, they're going to do this. And dudes would just be like, just tell me what the fuck to do. And then yeah. there's other guys that geeked out on that, that wanted to know in the third quarter when we're in the fucking red zone, that they're always going to fucking rotate safety. So it, it just really depends on your level of involvement and who, but then you have to know what influences people. And that was an interesting thing, man. I, um, I never realized, especially in the NFL, and you've seen this, that like everybody has a very, very different um, fucking motivating factor. And I'll, I'll just tell you a little story. We were in a Saturday night meeting before the game, and uh, one of the dudes came in into the offense. and Or I'm sorry, we were in special teams. One of the offensive dudes came in and took 10 grand of cash and laid it on the table and was like, fucking somebody knocks out that punt returner, this motherfucker, then they had some personal beef, you know, threw it on the table and said, anybody gets him, this is fucking yours. I'm going to keep it right here. And somebody got him. And that dude fucking was like, I was running like a madman. I needed that 10 grand because I had bills to pay. I had child support. And like, I remember thinking like, man, like there's some serious fucking motivating factors. And I'm like, you never, I would have never known this. And, but like your ability to work in and go and find those athletes and figure out which each one of them, or like what makes each one tick is your communication skill and actually having a general interest in the fucking individual. Cause people know when, when you're disingenuous and being like, so how was your weekend? You're like, Oh, it's fine. Yeah. I think you got to also figure out what makes them tick and when, and that's going to be longitudinal in terms of if you have them for a long period of time, multi-year, right? Because let's say that dude didn't fucking need that cash. That's not going to motivate him to do it. But what if he wanted a wave runner? Fuck. Maybe you pull a wave runner up that gets that dude to knock that guy out. Shit. If we're talking fucking like quads or four wheelers, I would have killed some You know people. what I mean? So I think that the, the motive, I can speak personally, what motivates me at certain times is based off of need and context outside of the task at hand. Most of the time, I just want to fucking crush it. It's, it's fun to do things well. You know what I mean? Whether that's training or work. Like, man, when you can sit back, sip a beer and like, and feel like and you, bask in your accomplishment. You did a, you did the Priceless. job well. Yeah, and that your outcome matched your intent, and all your preparation leading up to that point paid off. That's good feeling. Yeah, even and if I, it, I think yeah. that's 
that's something I still struggle with. Like I said, it was, it was the, the core message of conscious coaching was an attempt at that. It was saying, Hey, follow, follower characteristics or athlete characteristics or client, whatever term you want to use the research just calls them follower. That's not, you know, so don't shit on me with that, but like follower characteristics need to be addressed when you study leadership. Act a lot. Cause I mean, oh, there's, a, there's a lot of like, um, fucking disclaimer, qual- like disclaimers, a lot of qualification, a lot Brett, of- disclaimer, Bartholomew, we call them. <laughs> I got called a racist and a cult leader no more than two weeks ago on an Amazon review because a guy's like, Hey, I read the archetype section of your book and it's very Jordan Peterson-esque and whatever. And I go, well, you didn't read closely enough, guy, because nothing in my book says that archetypes are the answer to coaching. As a matter of fact, like you go onto my website, I have a whole thing that says archetypes and lazy coaches. It's be, and it's all about coaches that want this playbook for people so they don't have to fucking think about how to interact with them. And I'm like, nothing says that. And you know what? The guy, honestly, I'll give him kudos. I called him. I got to, I don't, and I don't do this. So if somebody's looking for attention, don't think you're going to troll me and get a call from me, you weirdos. Um, But I called the guy and I'm like, listen, like you're going to call me a racist and a cult leader and say that you read my book and give it a one-star review, whatever, man. But you're going to explain yourself a little bit. I'm curious. And I just had a wild hair. And you know what? The guy eventually broke down and said, hey, um, I struggle because your book seemed to take off. I've tried getting shit out there in the past. It didn't take off. And he just wanted to fire a shot. He wanted to fire shot, but I would say where I face where I face early heat. And this is like one guy. It's so funny. One guy is this PhD that's so desperate to get his work recognized that like when my book went like uh, viral, he was like, you're not a PhD. You have no business writing this. Yeah. And I remember Mike Boyle was like, who is this dude to try to tell you like what you can write? And this guy almost went on a little tour, right? He went on a little tour with the NSCA stuff, like trying to like slam my book. And I'm like, buddy, like you're only like somebody would come up to me like, Hey, did you hear this guy went on like 15 minutes saying that this and this and this, and I'm like, you know what? Thank him. Tell him I'll send him an invoice in terms of the marketing stuff. And like the guy, like, it's just funny. So like there's, it sits in this thing, right? Because people feel like sports, like what you have and, and I'll be clear here. And this is a big reason why I'm getting my doctorate, you know, to a degree, but also like what you have is you have Where are you getting your that, doctorate at? Uh, University of central Lancashire. I'm studying under John Keeley, Kylie. Yeah. And John, like it's a professional doctorate, which is awesome because it allows me to keep coaching. Right. And it, it's spot on with everything I'm studying with art of coaching. So like the two are synchronous and the professional doctorate, something they do really good in the UK, really well in the UK and Australia because they want practitioners, not academics. Right. Like they want people doing the research. Not that there's not academics doing the coaching side, but it's pretty few and far between in America. Sure. But anyway, it's funny. The guy, uh, I forgot I was going to say, it wasn't super important, but this guy just goes on and on and on. And I go, buddy, like at the end of the day, like your work is reaching 1% of people. So where I get heat is some people will think you're a popularizer because, you know, conscious coaching has got 80 some odd references bought in the online course has 160 some odd and I'm an adjunct professor. So all this shit's research backed, right? Which it's like, it's gotta be a balance anyway. But there was one guy who was basically trying to call me a popularizer. And I go, listen, I'll, gladly take that term if it means I'm reaching people, man, you know, because your research articles that you're writing reach 1% of the population. You're not really helping anybody other than like a bunch of snobby, like academics that want to sit here and debate about the nomenclature involved. Cause his big thing, John was, I don't like the term buy-in. He's like, it should be trust. Again, I knew he didn't read the book because literally in the top front, like 10 pages, it says buy-in is trust. Don't go, you love when people start arguing semantics? Dude, I, I go, let's I don't like your word choice. Back and forth. Well, that's just because they got a oh. weak thing, right? Like, yeah, no, and I go, let's bullshit. not go. Here's why you use the term buy-in because you fucking load up YouTube and it's a colloquialism that nearly every coach will use, right? It's something we understand. 
it's kind of like my grandma would make goulash. She was of German descent. I knew oh, I know goulash. Yeah, I knew it was pasta. I didn't go well, up to my grandma and say, with hey. corn and ground beef. <laughs> it was pretty much all the food that we would eat over the course of the week. My mom would mix it up into a big pot with pasta, and like we would, it, would be, it was called goulash. And we were like, oh, yeah. fucking goulash. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I'm trying to get better at that, John, just to be, but like, I do get a lot of that shit. And I realize what I have realized the more I study psychology, though, man, and you know this, because we've all talked about this, is usually at the end of the day, it's somebody inside that wants attention. Yeah. They want attention. They want, and, and I've gotten to a point now where I just won't give it to them. I go, listen, whether you're looking for an apology, absolution, or an ass kicking, you're not getting it from me. Dude, you know, I, I told Jason Whitlock basically about the same thing. And uh, Jason Whitlock, uh, he was a sports writer in KC, and now he's got a big radio show. And he's uh, legend. He's, that dude's fucking oh, yeah. awesome. So, yeah, he was our fucking beat writer. And that dude would fucking write scathing fucking deals. Awful. And uh, I remember fucking he wrote something like uh, I was hurt, and he was fucking trying to call me like a fucking malingerer. And uh, dude, I fucking called him out on it. And I was like, listen here, dude, I had two fucking surgeries like within weeks of each other last year. And like I came in and earned a job on a fucking knee that wasn't ready to play. And I was like, who the fuck are you to call me a malingerer? You never fucking walked a mile in my shoe. And he's like, oh, I'm just trying and, you know, trying to, you know, fucking write. And, and, and dude, I, I fucking, to write. Uh, I got fucking pretty pissed. And I was like, yo, man, like there's a lot of things I'm okay with criticism on. Like you can call me a fucking shitty player. You can call me a million different things. But at the end of the day, dude, when you start fucking challenging like a man's inner worth and who, how he values himself and you start attacking me on like that, which I hold most dear. Like that's when fucking people get punched in the fucking mouth and they get hurt. And yeah. uh, ever since then, uh, we were super cool. He like showed up and brought me like the wire fucking uh, deal. And we've always been cool. He's been on the podcast years. And I was always like, what happened? He's like, oh, I just realized you were a real motherfucker. Like, uh, you know, a lot of these dudes, like I can fucking do that shit. And nobody ever says yeah, a fucking word. A lot of word. these critics aren't. I remember yeah. I tried finding this one cat at the conference to have a little chat with him and just walked out the back door. Everybody sitting at the table with him said, hello. You know, he, and I'm like, dude, like, you don't want to say hi. Like, and then he had one of his students reach out or one of his students reached out and was like, Hey, I think, you know, Dr. So-and-so should come on your podcast. Like, are you let Dr. So-and-so know he's welcome anytime. Funny. So I haven't heard a call from him, you know? And so like, Gotten a, and you just look at these things. And at the end of the day, this is another thing that I think it really helps coaches and people of all kinds. You're going to be a coach. Uh, skin in the game is huge, right? Like, cause you learn that like all these people that usually are the biggest critics, they either don't put any shit out or they only do it in a really safe way. Like it's amazing. Even most strength coaches, right? Like they have their made, they may have their own internal manual. Like let's say text, let's say you're the head strength coach at the university of Iowa, right? Just for the, the sake of discussion. Right. And uh, you're interviewing for some other people. They're going to come in with their uh, binder, with their philosophy or whatever they call it, their methodology, anything like that. But very few people make these things public right? They very, very few will make it public. Now you go online, they'll criticize everybody that makes it public. You put a program online and I know your guys' work is very transparent. They'll criticize it, but they don't realize like, okay, like if you're really confident in what you do and you think that it's, it's, it's helpful by all means, like put out a course, put out a book, put, put something where people outside of your scope can just lay into it. But if you don't, then you have no right. I, I get that you have a human right to do whatever you want, whatever, to a degree, but you really have no right to criticize anybody else's shit unless your stuff is out there publicly exposed in all its naked imperfectness. Just shut the fuck up. Cause you're, or you're if you actually had a fucking intimate knowledge, like that was a big thing for us, man. Like uh, we got invited to go to this event that was like an education event for elite FTS and Dave Tate and uh, the cat who was the strength coach, uh, old dude from uh, Arizona Cardinals gets up there and uh just fucking out of nowhere just starts curb stomping the stuff that we were doing with crossfit 
and like just start like when was, was this how long ago? uh this is year like uh, four or five years 15, ago 15 uh, 2015 yes and just starts fucking curb stomping it and i was like i'm sitting in the audience and people are looking at me and i'm like ah dude like obviously uh you know so he says that and then the next sentence he talks about how um he had the, a philosophy and he went out to west side in one weekend uh, abandoned everything and completely changed into this whole like West side kind of fucking, you know, box squat the whole nine yards and like just basically wholesaled everything he knew in 30 years and fucking yard sailed it for a weekend at West side. And I'm listening to this dude being like, uh, dude, if you trained for 30 years and fucking found, you know, cause through training and, uh, not only like interactions and all this, you basically find certain truths, things that you find like, you know, are these kind of principles and for you to show up and fucking yard sale your entire life of 30 years as a, as a professional for a weekend, I was like, dude, this guy like fucking fraud. And, um, and then I reached out to him numerous times to not only go see him, go hang out with him, talk to him, do something. And, uh, fucking ghosted me on everything even had other people reach out to him because i'm like hey man if i'm gonna sit in the audience you're gonna take pot shots on me i at least want to talk to you about what i'm doing and on top of it i'm you know and while i'm in the strength coaching deal i had another cool career before it which looks like uh telling you to get the fuck out of the way while i get on the field and to fucking wreck my weights and like not to be a fucking asshole but like uh, if you're going to take shots, like at least know what you're fucking shooting at and who you're shooting at. And that's the big thing on this internet. People just fucking like, they see your book. Oh, conscious coaching. This guy doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. And you're like, read the book, show up to a seminar. Like yeah, well, um, try writing a book. I, it's funny. Like just write, try just sit down and write a book. Cause that's the problem, right? That's Dunning Kruger in full effect. Like, uh, like, and I, and for a while, like in this was immaturity on my end, but somebody would leave a review. I'd be like, dude, like, Sorry, I didn't meet your expectations. Uh, send me samples of your writing. I'd love to learn. I'd huh. love to learn what effective writing looked like. And then I just realized, like, that was me being having an emotional attachment to the book at first. You know, just it was my first real experience at laying everything out there. And now I don't worry about it. But there is truth in that. It's like, cool, like, by all means, show us how it's done. Because it is funny. And, like, I sit in this weird gap where, like, I'm 33. And so I also had a lot of heat because there's just people that – uh, oh, you're too young to have written a book. You're too, I'm like, there's rules of this shit now, man. Alexander the Great, pretty sure, was cavalry commander by 21, had conquered most of the Western world by this time. Uh, Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein, I think, at 19 or 20. Yeah. I put that shit on Instagram, and I had a woman. I think it's still up there. You got to check it out. A woman goes, I just unfollowed. You're glorifying the murder of countless individuals. And I go, whoa, what? And she's like, Alexander the Great? And I go, ma'am, nobody's glorifying the murders of Alexander the Great. We're saying that at a young age, this man took on a tremendous responsibility. We're not saying whether it was right, wrong, or indifferent, uh, but to lead an army that uh, like conquer yeah. most of the world or manage it. Like, Dude, the, the, the only person that commanded a bigger army that conquered more was Genghis Khan. Right, and I'm just looking at this. I'm like, how is this? You've totally misinterpreted. I'm saying that you don't have to be a certain. There's not an age of achievement, right? Well, like, are people going to go back and be like, hey, Mozart, no, 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 motherfucker. You're not eight years old yet. You can't touch the piano. But and I mean, I'm not Mozart, isn't that what people what I mean? do, though? I mean, isn't that like the anhominem attack, like the new, uh, like the way that people like I was thinking about this, like the way you quiet somebody is to fucking uh, is this shaming deal. So you attack somebody on something not at all related to the fucking deal. Like you're talking about Alexander the Great and like, oh, you're going fighting a murderer. And you're like, <laughs> what? Wow, how did we go there? And fucking yeah, people go so quick black. on the DEF CON thing. It's like, uh, I posted this um, uh, pretty interesting one. It was about uh, like the, like the most blood-soaked 
uh, diet that a person could have is actually a vegan diet because the amount of animals that are murdered and killed in the production of that food source and for that diet far outweighs anything. And like actually the most humane diet would be one of like um, fucking eggs and like, you know, uh, pasture raised animals. And it went through this whole thing. And it was like all the different, like the amount of uh, ground nesting birds and deer and all the other shit, like anything that would ever eat a soybean has to be murdered for this thing. And like the whole blood, blood soaked deal. So I posted it and uh, somehow the vegans fucking got on it. And their ability to extrapolate insane fucking arguments from these statements was like nothing I've ever seen. I'm like, wow, how do we just go into baby killing and fucking maiming people's legs? you know, associated with this. And I think it's just a, t a scare tactic and how people fucking argue these days where I have to go to like a, like a case in point, like the, um, you know, when you get into the pro-life pro, uh, pro-choice deal and then you're like, ah, oh, you know, I don't believe in abortion. Well, what about for a woman that's been raped by her father when she was 12 years old? Yeah. And you're like, so you went to like the worst fucking example that probably maybe has never happened, but maybe a handful of that's times. That's how people think, though, right, man? And it's black and white. People are thought, but a, it's black and white bullshit. But that's the point zero zero one percent. What about all the other like uh, instances of abortion that aren't that? Why is it that we have to go to the worst fucking common you know piece? And I'm always like, but like, okay, in, in that instance, okay, but is that the fucking the most typical person that's getting an abortion? And like whether or not you believe in all that and woman's right to choose and all this, but like that's what drives me crazy on these arguments is that people go to the fucking literally like the darkest, deepest, fucking worst example as a way to fucking fight from that. And I'm like, it's bullshit. Yeah, there is a really good book called Crystallizing Public Opinion. And again, it's really good. In my assessment, I understand value subjective, so other people may hate it, but there was a line in there that I circled, highlighted, you know, did whatever. And it just said, like, listen, a debate's always going to draw a larger crowd than a lecture. Um, and you look at these seven primary instincts that like really people's emotions go towards. This was from a guy named William McDougal. He's like, you know, uh, fear, repulsion, disgust, anger, curiosity, wonder, like uh, at the end of the day, like it's like this fake rage is a really hot thing right now. It's a really big thing. Like people just want to be mad about something. And I they think that's a I, I think it's a manifestation of political correct society now where people have all this built up, ugh, just like they can't get rid of anything because a lot of people don't train, right? A lot of people don't have healthy outlets for things. And so it all gets channeled socially. And so they find things that they really just want to get angry about or make them feel insecure. And then they want to get other people on their side because they're really lonely. They're really lonely and angry and they're lost and, and they're going to do whatever they can to just make sure misery loves company and other people can go with them. And so I kind of look at it now and I almost look at it like a toddler eating a crayon. I can't get mad if a toddler eats a crayon. He doesn't know he shouldn't eat a crayon, right? Depending on the age. Like, I don't get mad. I'm just like, oh, man, like, that's sad you think that way. You know, and not that I'm some elevated, like, mindset, but I just understand that, like, the role that emotion plays in these things because that's what I'm studying now. And I, I've overreacted plenty in my life. There's a reason I gravitated to this, and it's because of my imperfections. I wanted to understand myself better. You know, and a lot of that shit goes back. I mean, like, fuck, like any younger brother knows an older sister, an older brother that would just try to turn their thumb screws. And I love my brother, but he'll still try to do it this day. Like, he'll try to do something He'll say whatever he can to just get a reaction. And now I'm like, hmm. yeah, that's not going to, that doesn't really hit anymore, bud. Like I'm not 10, you know? And so I just look, people are just really lonely and angry and they want other people to be lonely and angry with them. And here's the last thing. It's really hard to put something out there. It's really hard to start a business. It's hard to write a book. It's hard to make a course. It's hard to do anything. It's hard to make a pizza shop. Um, and so what people can do is they feel like what's easier. Well, I can channel my anger into reasons why I don't do that. 
so that my my abilities are never on display or lack thereof. Uh, so my inadequacies are never on display, you know, and but they can tear other people down. And so I just you got to look at it that way. It's, it's funny. Look at the news. You see the people in the background, like doing whatever they can to get on camera. Those are the angry people. They just really want to get on camera for a little bit. Well, I think those people are lonely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a big thing, right? Because the social media, like, uh, and the internet and uh, social media is a scapegoat, the internet in general, we've never been more connected, but we are severely lacking in connection. Well, but I mean, so, so like in, uh, um, I was trying to explain this to, uh, to my kids or a little bit, but like, um, for example, and I think, I think the reason people feel so lonely and they don't understand it is that they're (laughs) seeing people that they know or people they don't living a life that maybe they potentially would want or aren't included in. So like, I remember as a kid, like, Hey, you call up your buddy, he doesn't answer. I don't know what the fuck he's doing. You know, and now it's like people post on Instagram. You're like, oh, you didn't pick up your phone because you're out doing something cool with somebody else. And I'm not fucking invited. Like I like I think like, hey, my buddy didn't pick up the phone. Like it's not that he and his some other friends went to Disneyland and didn't fucking call me. Like, well, you know, it was a perfect example of your point there. Like text. It was you that reached out to me on email to set this up again. Right. And one thing that one thing I was really bad at, and I still am, I'm really bad at asking for help. Not because I'm prideful. You know what it is? I really just don't want to bother people. I'm a Midwestern guy. Like, and I just like, I usually am like, I remember my parents just raised it, like figure it out yourself. Right. So I never asked for help. Well, like art of coaching is growing now and I needed help. I needed a lot of help because I'd get, I'd be coaching and then I'd come home and I'd have contracts for speaker agreements. I mean, I'm way out of my depth with some of this stuff, right? I had to spend a lot of money on lawyers, money I don't have. Like I'm not making that much money. People think I wrote a book and I'm some millionaire. You get like $3 a copy and it sells for 20 bucks. And like I said, part of that goes to Alzheimer's foundation, the cancer society, whatever. And I'll gladly show anybody my receipts if they want to test me on that. Cause that's happened too. But like text reached out and I'm like, Hey dude, I was almost apologetic at first. I'm like, I'm really sorry, but I, you got to reach out to Samantha, a member of my team, you know, cause like I, she's handling all this shit now. And I didn't want tech. I didn't want text cause I respect you so much. And you know, like anybody that reaches out, I never wanted to think I'm a dick. That's not me being self-important. That was me closing a gap of where I was really weak before. And I'd get angry. And you know where I channel that John, I channel that at my wife. Because I get so overwhelmed during the day, coaching, trying to answer emails, trying to answer everybody's social media message and all this shit. I'd like lose it at nine o'clock at night. And she'd be like, why are you so tense? I'm like, because I can't fucking please everybody in this. And I'm trying my best. And it's a mission that I love because I never had a direct mentor. As a matter of fact, I had a lot of people that tried to like, I don't, they weren't always so positive about me trying to be visible. But text, like, you didn't get mad at all, man. You're like, totally get it, man. That's awesome. And I like, it's almost like this reflex where I was like, Oh my God, that's awesome. Maybe people aren't so pissed off about it. And Lyle, Lyle Henley at UAB was another guy that was super odd. Cause this is all new to me. Lyle's like, Hey man, we want to get you speaking. Can you give me your rates? Can you do this? I'm like, Hey dude, I'm really sorry. This isn't because you're not important to me. Like I've, you got to reach out to Sam. I'm, I fucking hate email and I'm not buying it much. So you got to deal with that. Lyle was super cool. And so I think sometimes we, we over-exaggerate where I'm getting at this is whatever you're insecure about, you over-exaggerate the amount that people really really care. Most people in the know get it. They get it. You know what I mean? I don't think anybody that really knows me would perceive me as being too important. Just like John, like one thing I value about you and everything you're doing is there's probably some people that think power athlete HQ is super aggressive, right? Or it's offensive. I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome because you, you have a market and you speak to them and there's people that just want to train. They want no nonsense training. They want it simple. And you know what? They also want it really thought out. And you found this unique pocket where you're able to serve that community and serve them authentically. 
Um, but that was a huge weakness of mine is just like, I was insecure. I didn't want people I, I almost attribute growth or achievement was something I should apologize for because strength and conditioning, and I'm sorry, it took me so long to get to this point because strength and conditioning evolved out of this like mindset, like you should be seen, but not heard. Um, you know, if you're not coaching all the time, then you're not really a coach. If you're not doing that, it's, it's like, it abhors achievement, right? It thinks it's self-serving. But dude, I grew in like a, I came at it from a completely different fucking way. Uh, like that's, what's so interesting. Like my, like my role in this and how I got into it is, is beyond different because I was not a strength coach. I was an athlete. And yeah. as I retired, um, you know, and I do have told this story a million times, but like I was filling out my law school applications. That's what I was going to do. And it was a phone call by this guy, Greg Glassman, who had this little company named CrossFit <laughs> that asked me, Hey, can you come help us develop our techno, um, like understand and develop technology for us to train athletes? Cause we don't know how to train fucking athletes. And I have a feeling that athletes are going to start showing up like the P like ball sport, like real, you know, professional athletes. And we don't have a solution for that. And I remember thinking like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's kind of a neat thing. And then that's how I got into this when I went out and they started asking me these questions like, you know, how would you write a program? How would you do this? How, and I, I had these incredible mentors and I was also the type of guy who asked questions. Hey, why are we doing this? How does this work? Um, you know, like I, I've told the story, I wanted to bench 500 pounds. I called Louis Simmons on the phone and, uh, you know, he talked me through it. And I think, um, being fairly analytical and, um, you know, being a rhetoric major, I always was in this idea of like formulating arguments, supporting and battling the arguments. So like, you know, the three elements argument, uh, ethos, pathos, and logos, like what am I doing to create these? And am I supporting my arguments, which is how I look in the training space. And when we look at power athlete and developing athleticism and fostering, I constantly think of like challenging the argument and how the pieces of this thing work together. You know, we have the logos with, we have a, you know, fuck, I think we've delivered what, like, millions of workouts over the last year. Um, you know, we have thousands of people that have followed the program. So we have a huge amount of data points. We have the, you know, obviously the ethos of me having used this training and all the other shoulder, you know, giants that I get to stand on. And then the emotional appeal, which is this idea of an authentic brand that is fucking stripped down. No bullshit. We're not trying to sell you anything. We're not selling you visions of vanity. We're, we're trying to put you in the best position to you improve yourself. And unfortunately, um, you know, diamonds only form under pressure. So I have to create the pressure and form you into this and diamonds form over a massive amount of time with pressure. So anybody that's trying to sell it to you in six weeks, ah, it's fucking bullshit. It's yeah. not how it works. No. And then having done it at a highest level, believe me, I can fucking steep to it And that uh, I've had injuries. I've had setbacks. I've done this. I've been at the top. I've been at the bottom. And you realize like consistency and time will solve all these fucking problems to show up every day. And like all of these messages and then, you know, dude, like you, you, as I keep, or as you're talking, I keep going back to the like, uh, you know, know thyself, thy own self be true. And really just, uh, you know, like that piece of like, who am I? And so am I, am I the right person to be giving this message? Do I have, you know, the credibility, the understanding, the knowledge, the desire, and all these other key factors so that when the message comes out, it's authentic. And that's what we were talking about today with the influencers is that, um, and then Luke brought up probably one of the fucking funniest, smartest ideas I've heard is like, I wish there was like a Reddit situation for <laughs> internet, <laughs> in social Instagram. media, oh, that in, yeah, that, uh, yeah, that, that piece, idea. right? Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, we're good. Right. So, so the Luke was like, dude, what if like on Instagram, there was a way that you could vote for, what was it like credibility, credibility and authenticity. Yeah. Uh, like, score. like there was an authentic, uh, authentic, uh, Authenticity score. Because think about like think yeah. about all of your advocates, Brett, where you become under you 
you're attacked by these fucking trolls or whatever um, that are silent because they don't want to be out there. They don't want to fight the fight. They're like, you know, good on fucking Brett for fighting the fight. What if those people could just continually upvote your authentic and valid messages and somebody comes to your page and you make an what perceived outlandish claim about um, personas and archetypes that is misconstrued as race, but you have this high relevancy score and accuracy or authenticity yeah. score, then people be like, hmm, so this guy isn't just some donkey dick fucker who's like contradicting himself in the same exact sentence over and over again in this caption where he's trying to help people, but really just promote how cool he is. So we, uh, but, but for, people have to read the caption for, for this to work. That's what I do. Uh, for, I could be uh, that guy. I don't even look at the pictures. For our block one and for our coaching <laughs> deal, um, we always had this, or I, I had this idea and you guys, it's, whether it's good or bad, but we wanted people that it. came through uh, the, you know, not only the methodology, but the block one to earn something. And so I weld up these little three by three blocks and I post pictures whenever I do them. And they're actually stamped with our logo and I stamp them myself on a 50 ton press and then I weld them up. And uh, they're about three inches, six sides. It ends up being about 36 inches of weld per deal. Wow. And it takes me like 10 to 15 minutes because I have to assemble them and then like once they're tacked in place I burn them in place and so last night I made 13 of them and uh, I was up from it was like from like 9 to about midnight and I was on this wall back here man where's that you know I can add that to the wall well yeah so I'll yeah and so uh, we wanted to craft these things and like give them to people as not only something unique that they'll never get but also something that shows that like we invested not only the time and like the specialty of you know not only fucking welding and like the progression and the whole deal but um we the, the joke I made is like what if I was like posting up pictures of them and like oh I just welded these up but like there's a fab shop that delivers them and like and I, I, I joked to the guys, I'm like, what if I posted up, like, we had a fat, we had somebody else fucking build them, and then I'm posting over here, like, I got my welder out, and you see me fucking spark it up, or the MIG, and, uh, and then we write this fucking montage about, you know, you know, thy own self be true, and that only through the creation of these fucking handmade items can I bestow a piece of myself, and, you know, and write this that's, fucking that's, nonsense. It's pretty good. Can you repeat that? that I'm going to write it down. <laughs> I'll write it for you. That we see in this fucking social media influencer fucking vomit uh, pool. And um, it's fucking disingenuous because I know these people socially. I've been around them and I'm looking at it. And like the one dude, you know, is talking about like, oh, you know, I can't wait to do this. I'm like, dude, I know you can't weld. I know you don't have tools. So I know you can't fucking wrench. So stop talking about building your own shit. Now, if you told me I can't do it and I need a mentor, and I'm going to learn to fucking do this thing. Then I'd have value in it. But it's this fucking facade. It's like all these guys went to and girls went to like the weekend Andy Frisella fucking, uh, um, you know, how to be a social media influencer. You got to tell people how it is. And, you know, people once I tell people, that guy. I've never I've never seen his stuff. Well, what's he about? Well, oh, no, like, we don't want to go there. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not talking shit on the dude. He's got a supplement company, the whole thing. But like uh, I listened to his podcast and it was just like. You know, the type of dude who's just telling everybody how it is, the hard pill. And I'm like, fuck, it's this Gary V, Andy Fussell. Like, uh, it's this whole thing where it's like, how about you just fucking live the code? Be in good shape. Fucking be a good person. Do what you need to do. And I've, I've, I've gathered from a lot of people that, like, actions speak better than fucking words. But unfortunately, like, what you're saying doesn't add up with what I'm saying. And, like, that was a big one in the NFL. And, you know, like that's the one thing I loved about that job. There's nowhere to hide. If yeah. you're out on the field and you get exposed, everybody knows you get exposed. You can't come in and be like, Oh yeah, no, I killed him. Be like, 
well, we're going to watch the fucking deal. Uh, that's you even one thing him. I like about speaking, you know, is being out there. Like, I don't, I don't get on stage because I love seeing my face. Like I, well, I don't, I never, I never listen to podcasts I'm on or any, it's just weird, but like speaking, like I have an obsession with always trying to prove myself a fraud. you right. Like, just like, do, do I know what the fuck I'm talking about? And I do the due diligence like, in the way I look at it, what I mean by that is like, if I can't get on stage and simplify it and teach it and all this stuff, then I, I shouldn't waste my time with this if I'm not effective at it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so like, I, you know, there was a period there where we'd get ready to go present and I, somebody would be like, are you going to look at your slides? I'm like, no, like I made the damn thing. If I can't present on it, I got to sit there and look again and again and again and again, there's nothing wrong with reviewing it. Right. Like making sure there's nothing wrong with the font and shit like that. And if I, if I'm giving a talk that I haven't given in like a year and a half or two years, I'll review it, but I'm not going to say, I don't practice my talks. I just don't, that doesn't work for me. Because if I can't get up there and speak to it in the moment, one, like it, I don't want my shit to be rehearsed. I, I can give the same lecture 57 times. It'll be 57 different lectures. And then two, it's just like, if I don't know it, then well, I need to move on. Um, so yeah, I agree there. I think also too, you touched on an interesting point. Like uh, somebody said this once and I'm sorry, I can't attribute it. It's not mine. I'll say that much, but somebody said, uh, and I'll give you the context in a moment. They're like, I'm not in the rescue business. I'm in the business of making people that like want to try to be like, or have a, I'm not in the rescue business. I want to take people that are really trying or who are already effective. I want to make them more effective, right? Something like that. And what I realized, I didn't really realize what he was saying. And then, you know what? I look at my Instagram DMs and like right now, if anybody, well, I don't know when this will air, but today, if you went onto my Instagram, you'll see right on my profile, Hey, reading list, here's 200 of my favorite books, you know, for anybody that's interested. Right. And it does, it's not for everybody. It's just like, these are 200 books and articles. I think most coaches should read, right. It doesn't say it's the best. It's the only ones. It's just, these are two things I think you should read. And then on my like little icon thing, you can see where I'm speaking or reading list, 20 other million things. I get on average 32 DMS that say, Hey man, you got a reading list. Hey man, where's your book? Hey man, what's this? And I'm just like, in the past, I'd respond to every single one of them because I was the guy that didn't get responded to when I was young. But here's the difference. And hear me out with this. I would never reach out to somebody unless I did homework first. I would never reach out to you, Luke, you Tex, or you, John, and say, where can I find more information about power athlete? You know what I do? Google power athlete or Google whatever, like Google it. Do you know what, like, do you know what my DMs are? Uh, it's, it's, no, no, dude. Uh, I get probably, I bet you dude, 30 to 40, maybe 50 a day. And it's people that have tagged me in their Instagram stories. Training. Oh, nothing's worse. Dude. I fucking love it. I get to see, like they set up their phone, they post a clip, they fucking tag me in it. And like, I give me their fist pump, like fucking fingers, like looks great. Like I fucking love dude. The fact that I can put something out, like shoot it out into the universe and people I don't know somehow recept it. They log on, they do it, and then they show up and fucking do this at like six in the morning in their garage, and they're like so stoked on it. Yeah, the most austere fucking uh, uh, home dude, gym it, shit. It's, it's pretty the best. cool, Brad. It, yeah, it's and and like, dude, they're and, not asking for coaching. They're just like, bro, we're out here. Yeah, uh, like the dude who tattooed our you know our skull on there. He like every single day he sends me a video of like the training with like thank you. And like, dude, I fucking love it. Um, I like, I've never in my life imagined that uh, all the shit that I did before. And like, as a professional athlete, man, like I'm playing in the NFL. When you get done, there's like, I had this fucking fear um, towards the end of my career that uh, I would be like every other NFL player where the only way I could ever uh, 
like be successful outside of the NFL was doing something that was parasitic on the NFL. Like, hey, I'm done playing. Now I get to be a fucking announcer with Tony, Terry, and Jimmy, you know, or it's like I'm fucking here or this, or I have to do something or I go coach that like I can't stray too far that like who I was then, you know, like Terry Bradshaw, what he did in his fucking late 20s and early 30s. Now he's in his 70s for the last 50 years. His whole fucking credibility is about his Steeler deal and what he did. And like, I don't even know what the fuck he does. Right. It's just Jimmy Terry, you know, this and they go through this whole thing. And I'm like, man, I wanted to reinvent myself. I, I wanted to do something different. And, uh, you know, into this training space, which was different. I mean, it just to be able to put out information and uh, see people get better and then to have them tag me and me get to like peek in like kind of like, you know, fucking weirdly. But like they get to show me this weird little thing. And dude, people like you would trip out, man, like dudes in their garage, this fucking like jungle gym looking thing. And they'll fucking tag us. And I'm like, dude, this is crazy that people all across the globe, that thousands of people around the globe are being influenced in a way uh, that I didn't expect and didn't intend. And it's making them better. And like at the end of the day, like that's all I'm really searching for. Like if, if the information that I put out and that we've gleaned can do something to make you a better version of yourself, I fucking want. Yeah, I think that's where you, you bring that up. It's good because we spent a lot of time on the other stuff. I think that's the thing that makes the most sense to wrap this up is at the end of the day, all all these people that write bullshit or whatever I don't think they realize that it's like, dude, like I'm okay if you're not my audience, because I remember one a guy reached out to me and was like, his daughter died of cancer. He read conscious coaching and my hospital story made him feel like he, for the first time he could admit that he had trouble grieving and he had faced depression and all this stuff. And he wanted to write a book. And then like a year later, he wrote me or he sent me a copy of the book that he wrote. No, oh, shit, like, dude. what, you know? And so, yeah, I'm with you, man. I dude, think that's so small powerful. Victories. And I don't think these people, I know we try to thank them for that, but I don't think they always know how powerful that is. Like that shit makes not just your day, your month, your week, like that, that's stuff that makes your life. Well, I mean, as as a coach, like you work with all these uh, professional athletes and football players, the whole deal. And like, you know, all of a sudden, like you're, uh, you know, uh, a guy's at this hall of fame speech and he thanks you in the hall of fame speech. And you're like, damn, what? All yeah. the shit and everything, man, I just got to thank. Like, I, I've told these guys fucking way too many times. Like, the last play of Bruce Smith's career, I knocked him unconscious. What? And You're such a dick. Yeah. he, uh, Dude, we uh, we were playing last game of the year. Got Redskins. a wave runner out of it, too, didn't you? Yeah. We, we, were playing <laughs> the, we, we were playing the Redskins fourth quarter. Donovan fucking rolls out and fucking throws the ball at dude's feet like he always does. And uh, Bruce was chasing him. And I fucking peeled back around and he didn't see me coming, man. And I fucking caught him right underneath the chin and he went face down. Of course, Donovan throws incomplete. Uh, We jog off the field. They bring the kicker on and he's still fucking laying there. And so I finally see him kind of get up and I'm kind of backpedaling watching me like he's not off the field. He gets up and just walks off the field. So after the game, I'm looking for him. Nowhere to be found. I never saw him again. Didn't hear anything. Like two years later, I'm at the Super Bowl and we're at this big like round bar at this you know fucking party. And I'm kind of like looking around, you know, trying to peep out the chicks. And I look and I see this dude staring at me and he like looks fucking right at me. And I'm like, oh, fuck, it's Bruce Smith. And he fucking points at me and he slowly starts walking around the fucking bar. And I'm like, oh, fuck, dude, he's coming to fight me. I'm going to fucking fight Bruce Smith at the fucking Super Bowl party. And he rolls up on me and it's like. Last game my NFL career played like fucking 18 years. I was all pro this whole thing. You knocked me unconscious. And as I came to, I realized my job was over. He said he walked out, didn't even take it, didn't take a shower, just took his shit off, left it there, got in his car and never went back. And that was it. And I was like, that's the best story. Can you tell that at your Hall of Fame speech? (laughs) 
And he was like, just kind of looked at me and he's like, just ordered drinks and we fucking drank. And I just was like, seriously, you have to fucking, he's like, I ain't fucking telling the story. Fuck you. And, uh, we had a fucking blast, man. And, uh, that moment, like that stamp on my life, like is one of my most favorite, like I'll, I'll, I'll remember that on my deathbed. Like that was, that moment was fucking great. And I sometimes wonder, like, did I make that up? No, no, it happened. And, um, like those moments are, you know, the collection of those moments are our lives. And now those are the influences and those people tagging me like to go through that. And even though it's a small thing, it's what I fucking dig. And like you said, man, like that guy reaching out and you were to influence him and put him on a better path. If you can alter the trajectory of just one person, it's success. And, and but those people like that's the thing. The last thing I want to say on that is those types of people I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. And it's not because I'm, there's nothing like, I don't want to say anything offensive. I'm just literally trying to think how to phrase it. Those people have something different in them than the majority of people that reach out. And so what I meant earlier in terms of not being in the rescue business is what I've learned and what I struggle with still is you can put all this information out there. I mean, I literally have like artofcoaching.com and then like resources, 90% of them are free, if not more. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll put all this information on my swipe up that like I make it like dummy proof. What I struggle with is like, there are some people out there I realize that like just want to be rescued. And there are people that are like, you can give them all, like, here's an example. Somebody asked for a, what advice you have for a new coach? So I literally have a 50 page ebook free. Here's my advice for a new coach shit that I wish I knew. Boom. Sent it to him two months later. Hey, what advice do you have for a new coach? Like, Oh man, like, did you not get the last link? I'm sorry for that. Here it is again. Boom. Literally about a week later. Hey coach, really struggling to find a job. Da, da, da. What advice? And I'm like, bro, I have sent you this thing three times. And he's like, yeah, but I don't have any money. I'm like, it's literally free. It says right there, like download free. Like it's right there. And like what I've learned in the past, I was like, man, I internalized. I'm like, I'm not good at communicating. I've got to figure out a better way. Like I even, if you go to my podcast, the art of coaching podcast, the titles, right? There's one title that's like how to overcome obstacles in your early career. I sent that to a person that asked me the same thing. I'm really struggling in my career. What do you, what advice do you have for me? That's exactly how they framed it, right? Entitlement. I send it to them. Yeah, but like what else? I go, dude, have you even listened to this? And so what I've learned now is like, if you're that person, don't reach out to me because I'm not, not going to rescue you. It huh? sounds like a trolling deal being like, so like, uh, okay, this advice is good, but what else do you got? Yeah, well, just, I just think it's this learned helplessness. That's what I think it is. I think that people really want how they want something when they want it the way that they want it. I want it now. You know, it's just kind of, all right, man. Well, like you and you said it like this shit doesn't have changes in the body don't happen tomorrow. If you start training today, time out physiology nerds. I get that. Yes, acute changes will. But like wholesale changes won't happen right away. But like people are like. No, I prefer the auditory medium. Okay, well, I got I got an audio book and a podcast. Does it have written notes? I'm like, ma'am, go lay down. You know, <laughs> I, love, <laughs> just, I love your picky like uh, church lady voice for oh, these dude, people. Dana Carvey and yeah. I grew up uh, during that isn't era. That special. Uh, dude, I always like, but I'm just those certain people can't be helped. Whenever I picture these people, I always think they, uh, the Mike Myers, like I'm a little bit clipped. Uh, Cornflakes are neither corn nor flakes. (laughs) Discuss. Dude, that's coffee talk. That's who I picture these people being like, so like, what do you think? They need some Stuart Smalley in their lives because they, you know, they're good enough. enough. The hilarious part is that was a whole spoof on SNL. And now it's fucking evolved into the real world. Oh my God. It really is. 
like was having like, Jordan on there. Michael Jordan, like the most prolific basketball player at the time ever. And Stuart Smalley is like, oh, and who are you? You know? Yeah. And then they do like the self-affirmation. Man, yeah. You're good no. enough and people like you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's okay. And still people don't believe it. That but, they're liked. But it was a it was a joke that we all laughed at back in the day, and now it's evolved into reality. No, no, it's still funny. It's well, a joke. Uh, dude, uh, it's well, we think it's funny, but people are like, <laughs> oh, you guys are being so mean to Stuart. Uh, oh, fuck yeah. those people. Yeah, happens. yeah, fuck them. We got shit to do today, and this could go for fucking ever. Yeah. So that's sorry, why we round four. <laughs> I know, but that's what's next, bro. Brett, I I'm cutting it off. I I'm sure you have plenty to do as well. Uh, is there anything you wanted to tackle that we didn't cover, McQuilkin? What? Okay, good. Thanks. Oh, no, sorry. give Brett the opportunity. You said online workshop dropping in May, so we'll get this out before then. So let's let's direct people where yeah, they need to go. Yeah, point them. Yeah, real simple. So online course coming out. This one's more for it. Doesn't matter if you're a coach, personal trainer, you know, physicist or whatever. What we're realizing is there's very few uh, resources out there that help people navigate careers that can be kind of rocky and don't have really a whole lot of stability behind them. And strength and conditioning is is a super paramount example, right? And uh, so basically, just uh, we put together a resource that is like two days out here. We filmed the whole thing. We had strength coaches from all over, pro, private, personal trainers, whatever. And uh, it, it goes into just how people can manage sticky parts of their career, whether it's getting the job, keeping the job, creating a future beyond the job. A really powerful section is on burnout. Because uh, what you find is people that are super dedicated to what they do, especially EMTs, medical doctors, a lot of people face uh, career burnout at some point just because they drive, they drive, they drive, and they push. So a lot of the course talks about double-sided nature, passion, psychology of burnout, how to deal with those things, finances, being aware of contracts, being aware of just all these little things, the right way to market, the right way to you know network, all this shit. Like the bottom line is this, the old way doesn't work anymore if you're a coach trying to get into this field. Just getting a degree and your certification and an internship doesn't guarantee you shit. And we have no resources out there that teach us how to navigate this stuff. I learned the hard way with a lot of it. I've had jobs with no benefits. I've had jobs where I signed a shitty contract. I didn't read the NDA closely enough. I've had jobs where I did this. I had, and then, you know what? None of it really mattered to me until I got a wife. Because before, it's like, oh, can I fucking train? You know, like, uh, all I got to do is take care of a crock pot and my quads. And uh, then when I got a wife That's and I realized, life. like, I might want to have uh, an insurance policy at some point, or I might want to have a retirement or I might want to, an insurance policy being metaphorical of saying like, what would I do if I got fired today? And you never have that. But when I wrote Conscious Coaching, I don't ever think I shared this with you guys. I took a $25,000 loan out of the bank. I was in my first year of marriage and there was no fucking guarantees at all that was going to sell. I didn't have a mailing list. I had no idea how to market anything. I knew nothing because like none of that stuff existed. So we put together a holistic resource. We, we worked with five other strength coaches in the team setting, people like Andrea Hootie, People like Andrea McCloy in the private sector who started his own facility. Uh, people like Ron McKee, just a wide range of people that have all gone through a lot of shit. And we're creating a full-blown resource for people that just feel stuck and don't know how to navigate hard times or maybe just want to start thinking a little bit more about their future. Hard it times make hard May people. First. What's up? Hard times make hard people. Hard times make hard people. Yeah, it's open May 1st through May 5th. <laughs> is is uh, that the title? Is that the title? No, no. The title is just, <laughs> the title's valued. And the reason it's valued, it's like the ED value education is because a lot of the, like you watch strength coaches bitch and moan right now. They bitch and moan that like, hey, we don't, we don't have any job security. There's no way to prove our value. If I had a dollar for every time somebody says you prove, we need to prove our value. We need people to recognize it. Like people were saying we need to get coaches 
literally who have to take courses on strength and conditioning to understand what we do just because we're not bad. And it's like, that shit's not going to happen. And by the way, you don't prove your value. You provide value. And most of you motherfuckers don't act professional because you know, like you, you, all you do is you worry more about being weight room people than professionals. So how do you expect people to take you seriously? But it's just like strength coaches and I've been one of them and I get passionate too. They all love their field. So they all thump their chest and say, we demand this. And it's like, no, there's a better way out, right? And nobody's coming to save you. So you need to learn a skill set. You need to learn a skill set beyond the X's and O's. And you need to understand how to take control of your own career and create option value for yourself. So you don't get in shitty situations where you got to take a job that's $26,000 and you're 31 and you have a wife and kids. You know what I mean? Because some, at some point logos on the shorts or affiliation with the NBA, NFL, or MLB isn't going to provide a stable future for you. So that's a long way of saying May 1st through May 5th, uh, we're putting together something that's meant to help coaches that just want to navigate their career and uh, have to kind of, no matter where they're at, young, old, whatever, hopefully it touches on some pain points that people face. I know I faced them at least. Maybe somebody's got, somebody else has a perfect career and they've never had a fucking issue. God bless you. Like, again, please come teach me everything. That's it. Artofcoaching.com. Artofcoaching.com. Um. Come, 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 come. I didn't get a rump out of you. Every buddy. time he said strength <laughs> conditioning, I was waiting for you guys to be like, ing, ing, I know ing. we kept muting you. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brett, uh, thanks a lot, man. As always, pleasure to talk to you. Power Athlete Nation, another episode in the books of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. Ing, 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 ing. Ing, Let me get an ing out of this guy. Ing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye, Bye guys. See you. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Visit artofcoaching.com to learn more about Brett's book, Conscious Coaching, his podcast, his mentorships, and his philosophy on coaching itself. For those of you headed to Soar Next Summer Strong, you will have the opportunity to see Brett in person as a speaker for the event. Until next time, uh, bye!